We are in Psalm 90 this morning, so let's turn there and read our text, beginning with verse 9. For all of our days have passed away in your wrath, and we finish our years like a sigh. And the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boasting is only labor and sorrow. And it is soon cut off and we fly away. For who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you as your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. As we begin Psalm 90, we are now in the fourth division of the book of uh, the Psalms. Psalm 90 begins the fourth division. There are five altogether. And this one is uh, the only one, I believe, written by Moses. Uh, He lived to be 120, and yet here he talks about man living a lifespan of 70. Moses is interesting because the Lord is not done with him yet. Uh, Here, you know, he lived right around, um, I think it was 1500 B.C., right around that period of time. Of course, he had 40 years. He could have been the possible heir to the throne of the most powerful kingdom in the world, which would have been Egypt. The Lord took him from there, and then he allowed him to be a shepherd in the wilderness for the next 40 years. And then that was in preparation for his ministry, which was the deliverer leading the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, and for the next 40 years, they wandered. Um, Jude tells us that when he died, that um, the devil contended with Michael the archangel, over the body of Moses. I mean, it really causes your head to wonder what that was all about. And there's a reason that the Lord allowed Moses to die and not enter into the promised land. I'll get to that in a second. But we find Moses appearing in the New Testament with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John were there. Blew Peter away. He just could not believe that Moses and Elijah were standing right in front of him Peter being Peter says, ah, this is great. We've built three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and and one for Elijah. I think it was sort of a staff meeting about what's going to be happening in the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. We read of the two witnesses that were foretold and prophesied about in the Old Testament as being the two olive branches with an unlimited uh, resource of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us, Revelation 11, they could bring judgment and plagues at will for three and a half years or 1,260 days. So Moses, and like I said, he lived around 1500 B.C. David, and when the Psalms were written, Asaph and the sons of Korah were were at right about 1,000 B.C., about 3,000 years ago for us. The Lord did not let... Moses enter into the promised land on purpose. We often say here at Calvary for every New Testament teaching, we have an Old Testament picture. And one of the clearest ones is the reason Moses wasn't allowed into the promised land. The people were thirsty one time, and the Lord said, go go by that rock over there. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that rock was Christ. He said, I want you to strike the rock, and it'll bring forth water. Moses does so, goes and strikes a rock, and it brought forth water, and the people were satisfied. In the wilderness, there was no water. Well, 
Several years later, they complained again. And the Lord said, this time, now Moses, I want you to go speak to the rock. But Moses was ticked at the people because all they were doing was complaining all the time and murmuring. And he'd had it way up to here with with this murmuring group of people. And so instead of speaking to the rock, he goes up to the rock. He says, must I strike this rock? He takes it and smacks it twice. God in his graciousness allows the water to come forth. People were satisfied. But he says, Moses, you need to talk. He says, because you did not reverence me in the sight of the people. You see, I'm not mad at the people, Moses. You're mad at the people. But there's, you know, the Lord allowed that to happen. There were greater sins, I'm sure, that Moses had committed. But he says, because you've done this, I can't let you lead the people into the promised land. And he died on Mount Nebo. But here's the reason for the picture. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 17, it says, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Just by fact of illustration that you can't enter into God's promises by keeping the law. No good works. There's nothing you can do that will earn your favor. And the law is all about works. But grace and truth, Joshua is another name for Jesus. Joshua was the one who led them into the promises of God. And when they walked over that Jordan River, it was a step of faith. The first time, God just divided the Red Sea. It was just a miracle of God, but not the second time. The second time, they actually had to take a step of faith, and as soon as the priest's foot hit the water, then the water stopped, not before. So this whole idea, now we're walking by faith into God's promises, but Moses, um, the Lord allowed him to get ticked off, hit the the rock twice. I want him to spend a little bit of time because this is the only time... Psalm that Moses is going to write. It's one of my favorites. So let's look at verse one. That's just a little background about Moses. I believe we will not be here when Moses and Elijah have their three and a half years of ministry uh, during the first half of the tribulation period. But here, let's read the first uh, eight verses or so. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations even before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And you turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years is in your sight like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away with a flood. They are like asleep and in the morning they are like the grass which grows up in the morning it flourishes and grows up in the evening it's cut down and withers for we have been consumed by your anger and your wrath we are terrified and you have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your countenance well here we see the the introduction to our text this morning basically talking about man and the comparison is that a day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. But for you and I, in, in light of that, it's, it's so quick and it's over. Grass grows and does fine in the morning, grows through the day, but in the evening it can be all cut up and dried up and gone. And such, because of this much of a background, that leads us to our text this morning where he says about our life, our days. All of our days have passed away in your wrath. And we, we finish our, our life with a sigh. 
the days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength then you take Garden of Life products, oh, that's not in there, but you might make it to 80, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. So what if you do get older? The older you get, the harder it gets. Rheumatoid arthritis sets in, or your joints are sore, your hearing's starting to go like mine is. It doesn't get better when you get older, no. You just can't uh, do the things that you used to love to, love to do. And so, if you're really healthy, maybe you'll make it to 80. For it is soon cut off, and I like this, and then we fly away. When Jesus told the story of the rich man and Lazarus, it says when Lazarus died, he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And in 2 Corinthians 5, as a believer, if you're in Christ and born again, it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's an instantaneous uh, metamorphosis from a tent to a glorious new body that God has prepared that's made for you eternal in the heavens. And it's an instantaneous translation, transition, I should say. And we fly away. And then he goes, for who knows the power of your anger? You know, God is showing his grace right now, and he's taking a lot. I often wonder how much more he's going to take. Judy and I were talking about Bruce Jenner coming into church this morning. And, you know, he was a hero of mine growing up. I remember the, the Olympics and the triathlon and that last 1,500 meters. Are you guys tracking with me? Some of you old-timers. <laughs> Man, watching him turn that last corner and come around, I got goosebumps all over. I knew he was going to do it. And my comment to my wife was, you know, he just doesn't know the Lord. Well, why is he doing this? Now he's a transexite changing thing might have caused an accident because of the paparazzi. But you know, if you don't know Christ and you're not born again and you've had that sort of fame and notoriety and now you're just nobody. So how do you get the world's attention? By doing crazy stuff like that. I think he just wants attention. That's what I think it all boils down to. Anyway, the Lord will put up with man's rebellion for so long as it was in the days of Noah. The Lord says, that's what it's going to be like when I come again. Well, it looks like the days of Noah to me. The Bible says man's thoughts were only evil continually. And as we see our culture going down and down and down, you just wonder. My spirit will not always strive with your rebellion. And so Moses ties it in here. They, they don't understand that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And what is a seven-year tribulation? The wrath of the Lamb. Well, we only know him as the gracious lover of sinners. He says, don't think that I've come to judge the world at this time. I'm not. But he will, and he will bring judgment upon those who have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that's right around the corner. So to sum it all up, if this is the, the brevity of life and we're here for a while and then we're gone, now the most important verse, and I've entitled this this morning, Number Our Days. So in light of all these truths, teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. As we number our days, I, I actually I did it. If the number is 70, I think overall in the world, if you, if you had a, a common number for the lifespan of humans all over the world, you'd come up with 70. In our country... Uh, it's closer to 80, it's around 77, but not in Haiti. Down there it's 50, hard life. But Moses, 
live to be 120, but there on out is supposed to be around 70. So if that's true, I got my calculator out and I, I started doing the math. And um, I got about 40 days, 45 days or so and, until I hit 64. But I, did, I, I got it out and I calculated 365 times 6 plus 50. And um, I came up with 2,240 days. I did the math. And then it says, I just figured out that a whole lot of me has already happened, and that's not a whole lot of time left. 2,000 days? So in light of that, I'm going to have you turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. If we're to be taught to number our days, the idea is what are you going to do with the time you have left? The Lord says, teach. Teach us to number our days. Well, if that's all I got left, what am I going to do with them? Somebody asked because I was gone for, because of the funeral extended period of time, and I was painting my parents' trailer down in Arizona. They said, is White moving to Arizona? Is he retiring? Well, let me set the record straight. I'm not retiring. It's not in the Bible. And I'm not moving to Arizona. I might sneak down there when I can, <laughs> if it's 30 below here and 75 there. But no, I'm not going anywhere because there's no place I'd rather be than teaching God's word from this pulpit until the Lord takes us home. I want to be like Chuck. Chuck was on oxygen on Sunday and dead on Wednesday. The Lord took him home. That's the way to go out, not playing golf in Arizona. Dad used to say that, that he, he watches the people go down there, and they, they measure their life by how many rounds of golf they got left. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I don't know if it's the wisest thing that you could be investing in if you only have a certain amount of time left. So I thought, let's go to the wisest man that ever lived and see what he has to say about it. But to really get your thinking on this, I'm going to give a comparison between um, Solomon, who the Bible says is the wisest man who ever lived. And I take that at face value. There was nobody wiser and also nobody wealthier. And he has something to say. At the same time, we could listen to Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett has $73.5 billion. He also, we could be listening to E.F. Hutton. After all, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. And as, as you go around and you think about it, I asked Siri this morning, how old is Warren Buffett? And technology is amazing. Siri, how old is Warren Buffett? 84 years old. He's already passed his three score and 10. And by reason of strength, he's made it to 80. But 84? Question, how much of that $73.5 billion do you think Warren Buffett's going to take with him when he goes? Answer, not one penny. Here, this, this is Solomon's frustration. Solomon, in writing Ecclesiastes, is venting. And he sees the vanity and the emptiness and the futility of being wise and rich and then only realizing he's going to die and maybe leave it to some fool who doesn't have any idea what he's doing. So let's pick it up in verse, verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of, the, of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. We could say emptiness, emptiness, All is empty. What profit has a man for all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, 
and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The winds toward the south and turns towards the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full, to the place from which the rivers come. There they return again. And of course, we're talking about the, uh, um, the cycle with the evaporation and uh, the, the weather streams that just pick it up again and drop it down again. All things are full of labor and man can't express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. This has been, is what, that which has been is what will, will be, and that which is done is what will have been done. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new. No, it's already been done in ancient times before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor there will be there any remembrance of things that are yet to come. But those who will come after. I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek and search out wisdom concerning all that is done under the heavens. This grievous task God has given to the sons of men by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed, all is vanity and a grasping of the wind. If I would sum up the 12 chapters, and he's going to go through it all. There's nothing, and imagine the mind that God had given to him, the wisest man in the world. And so he tries it all. He had the resources to do it all, and he did it all, and tried it all. And when he, his conclusion one is, is here, and then it's gone, and it doesn't produce anything but heartache and labor under the sun. And uh, that's the conclusion of the wisest man who ever lived on this planet. And then we have people who, instead of reading the word of God, their only important uh, is uh, how is the Tao doing? They're completely transfixed with the Warren Buffett mentality. And uh, everybody's watching where Warren Buffett is putting his money. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm going to get to the point that there's nothing wrong with money. Money's amoral. But the idea here is, is the pursuit. But here's a guy, he's 84 years old, and he can diversify and he can get it in any parts of the world he can put his money in. But what Solomon's point is, so what? I'm going to die and I'm going to leave it to somebody else. And I'm not going to give you the end of the story yet. I'll leave that for the end. But he does have some final thoughts to say. But until then, let's turn to the New Testament The Bible says, teach us to number our days. Let's go to Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of Luke. And the Lord has a lot to say about the Warren Buffets of the world. In Luke chapter 12, picking it up in verse 13, then one came from the crowd and said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said to a man, "Who, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to him, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And then he spoke a certain parable, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plenty. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I will pull down my barns, 
I'll build greater, and then I will store up my crops and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. In other words, time to retire. He says, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is going to be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? That's exactly what Solomon said. After having it all, realizing that he was going to die, how do I know with all the wisdom and all the planning and training that I did, how do I know who's going to get it when all is said and done? <laughs> I watched this commercial last week. It's a guy doing a crossword puzzle. And, then the, and he looks down and after he figured out the crossword puzzle and it says, today you will have your heart attack. Anybody else see that one? And it had a warning. You know, we, we don't get a warning. Here this guy was all jazzed up. Man, I got it made in the shade. I'm going to retire and cabin up north. And, and I got all the money in the bank. My 401k is doing great. Stocks are fine, doing good. I'm going to kick back. Well, this guy did kick back, way back. And the Lord said, the Lord said to him, you're a big fool. You've, you've stored up for the wrong thing. And we find here, he says, no, tonight is when it's going to happen. And all that, that uh, those things which you have for yourself, now is going to be turned over to another. You see, it was his appointed time. It says in Hebrews 9, verse 27, that we all have an appointment, whether we like it or not. There's nothing we can do to change it. It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Moses said, you got 70 years, maybe 80 if you're lucky. So he says, teach me, Lord. Teach me how I might apply my heart to number my days. And what am I going to invest in? And what am I going to live for? Now, again, let me get back to this idea that there's nothing wrong with money. I know many men that are godly men, giving men, who love the Lord with all their heart. They just happen to be blessed. I don't think too many people can handle money, to be honest with you. As far as what the, it says in the scriptures, we're to warn those that are rich. Why? Because they have the ability to probably have a lot more temptations than if you don't have any money. And so, again, there's nothing wrong with it. But if we're to be taught to number our days, let's continue this in verse 22 of, of uh, Luke here. And Jesus said to his disciples after he, uh, I, I didn't read verse uh, 21, so is he who, who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. And then in 22, therefore I say to you, don't worry about, um, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life with what you're going to eat or the body, what you're going to put on. Life is much more than food and the body is much more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, uh, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them, oh, how much more value are they than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubic to your statute? I could camp out on this one because some people are just playing worry warts. I mean, they worry about everything. Keeps them awake at night because they're worried. And the, the Bible addresses it. And basically what the Lord is saying, go ahead and worry if you want to, but it's not going to change a thing. It's not going to add an inch to your height. So worry away 
Or you can trust away and believe that the Lord's going to work it out somehow, some way. If you are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Now, I like this next verse because it ties in Solomon. And he's who I'm using this morning to show the futility and vanity of uh, worldly pursuits. But whenever the Lord speaks about Solomon, it's almost in a negative, backhanded kind of way. And notice it here in verse 27. He said, consider the lilies or the flowers and how they don't toil or spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon had 666 talents of gold per year for his life. He was way above Warren Buffett. Big, big, big bucks. If then God so clothed the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is sown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink or, or don't be of an anxious mind. We're told to be anxious for nothing. I, I give myself a good talking to so many times during a given week. What are you getting so up? Anxious about it. I know that scripture's in the back of my head, and I'm anxious. And why am I anxious? So I give myself good talkings to quite often, because <laughs> I know better than to worry, and I worry. And I get anxious, and I know better than to be anxious. I thought you were trusting in the Lord. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I need to trust in the Lord. I need to rest. And he goes, for all these things the nations of the world seek after. Anybody who isn't born again. Their soul isn't satisfied. They're trying to fill the void with whatever, fill in the blank. And the man who did it all and tried it all and said, empty, 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 not there. But the Lord said, only non-believers seek after those things. And your father knows what things you have need of. But seek the kingdom of God and all these things will be taken care of. You put me first and I'll take care of you. I take care of the birds and so on and so forth, and I can, I can handle taking care of you. Not that he's going to meet your greeds, but he'll certainly meet your needs. Somebody said amen to that? The prosperity doctrine is a false doctrine that's out there today that promises wealth and Cadillacs and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's blasphemy. It's the opposite of what the Bible says. Paul says, I've learned to be content. Whatever state I'm living in, including Wisconsin, I've learned to be content. And so you can be content wherever you're at, and the Lord will take care of you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and uh, give alms. Provide for yourself money bags which do not grow old, treasures in heaven that do not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. And here's one of the best verses in the Bible. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days. Jesus does so here. And he uses the illustration of the, the, the guy who had it all laid away and he needed more room for his stuff. And as a result, he didn't realize that that was his last day and it was going to be left for somebody else. All right, here's my question for you this morning. What are you living for? Are you living for the $388 million Powerball lottery? If you are, here's your odds. One in 170 million to one that you're going to cash in 
on the $388 million. I don't know. Did anybody get it last night? Anybody here? Make sure you tithe if you do. I don't know. <laughs> no, the people just go out, and I see them throwing their money in these lottery things. I think the odds not wise. There's other places that, that you, could, you could probably cash in a whole, whole lot better. But lest I be misunderstood this morning, again, the Bible says it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. There's nothing wrong with money. You need it to pay your bills. You need it to pay your family. Uh, take care of your family. You need to work. You need to have a paycheck. Absolutely nothing wrong with it at all. Money is amoral. It can be used for good, and it can be used for evil. But my question is, how are you using what God has given you, and do you realize just how much time that the clock is ticking? We're going to have to give an account of that. What God really wants more than anything else. And usually when I give a study like this, I thought, well, maybe some are thinking maybe I better think about Africa or Haiti or, or being a missionary somewhere. And let me just tell you that the scripture says whatever state you're in when you're called, remain there, position-wise. Now, he may call you like they separated Paul and Barnabas out for missionary work. The Holy Spirit called them out. So, lest I be misunderstood, I don't want any guilt trip because you're wealthy or a guilt trip because you've got a busy schedule and coming to church is a luxury because you can kick back for a little bit and worship the Lord and take in a Bible study. And then you've got to hit the road running again on Monday morning. We, li- we live realistically in a pressure cooker world. And it's only getting faster as, as far as I can tell. And so I, I look forward to being here just as much as you do, just to take in God's word for an hour. But we do think about it, and we can get down on ourselves because we think, I'm not serving the Lord like I should. The disciples had that question. Turn to John chapter 6. And I hope this sets some people free this morning. Having said that, if the Lord is calling you, don't fight him. Give in. <laughs> but unless you have a specific call, there was a couple here years ago, they sat down. They said, well, we want to be missionaries in, in Africa. I says, great. Yeah, he says, we went online. We found this uh, organization and so on and so forth. I said, well, you know, it might be a wise thing to check it out. And um, they didn't. They packed up and they went down and they were, they were in, in Swaziland and living there. But they weren't there for long. A lot of corruption in that particular ministry. And long story short, they weren't called. I knew they weren't called when they were sitting in my office, but it's not me to tell them. They have to find that out for themselves. But they found out. And um, so the Bible says make your calling and election sure. Chuck will tell you, if you can do anything else as far as being a pastor, do it. But I can't because I'm called to do this. There's nothing else I can do, nor would I want to do. But that goes with the calling. But Chuck would often say, if you can do anything else, make sure you're called. Because the ministry has the best of both sides. It has the best of the spiritual warfare (laughs) and then the best of the divine appointments. You get to see God's hand at work. It's wonderful. But it's a two-edged sword. If you're in John chapter 6, you know, the disciples were thinking, oh, we got to do the work of God. What is the work of God? So if you're in chapter 6, verse 28, then they said to him, Jesus, the disciples, What must we do that we can do the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, 
that you believe in him who he has sent. You mean my whole goal and thing in life is to get to know Jesus and get to know him really well? Yeah. And if you get to know the Lord really, really well and believe on the Son of God, the rest of it's going to naturally just unfold. But priority number one is believing on Jesus Christ. This is God's work for your life, to believe on Jesus Christ. And that's from the Lord himself. Now what can happen in ministry, let's turn to the book of Revelation chapter 2. This had to be Heartbreak Hotel for the Apostle John because I believe he was responsible for starting the church in Ephesus. And he had to write the letter from the island of Patmos to his own church that he founded. Here was a disciple that was known, he referred to himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved. He was a disciple who had his head on the Lord's shoulder on the Last Supper. Oh, in his younger days, he was known as Son of Thunder, him and his brother James. But when he got older, he was just a sweetheart. And when you read First, Second, and Third John, his little children this, little children that. How precious is this? How precious is that? You know, he just softened, he just softened up. But now he's told to write this letter to the book, uh, to the church of Ephesus. He says, these things, verse 1, says, he who holds the seven stars at his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience. You can't bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles that are not and found them to be liars. You've persevered. And you've had patience. In other words, they hung in there during the hard times. You've labored for my name's sake, and you've not become weary. All commendable. All great things. The church is up and running, moving. Nevertheless, wow, I have this against you because you've left your first love. The Lord is interested in relationship, not workmanship. They had all the works. They had it all down. And all the Lord was looking at it and saying, what about me? They had the mechanics and the wheels going, and they didn't even know that the Lord wasn't amongst them. And so he tells them, remember. Remember what it was like when John was first there in the beginning, and he was teaching you about the importance of the example he was setting on just loving Jesus? He says, remember that from where you have fallen. Repent, which simply means turn, and do the first work, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from the place unless you... You repent. Reminds me of the old Peter and Gordon song. I won't live in a world without love. And the Lord is saying, I'm not going to live in a church that doesn't have loving me first as a priority. I'll leave. I'll I'll walk out from amongst them. So we have here, this had to be hard for John to do, the importance of having this first love relationship with the Lord. There's going to be a lot of surprised people someday who are busy, 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 busy working for the Lord. Let's turn to Matthew 7. We're almost done here. Picking it up in verse 21. Teach us, Lord, to number our days. Well, if Jesus is teaching us and the disciples are asking the questions, what what work can we do? The work you can do is uh, spend your quiet time so that you have no shadow of a doubt that you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that still small voice, you can say, I know that voice. I know that. I know when he's talking. Verse 21, Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. 
What is the new commandment? Oh, love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might, above everything else. Number one law. But many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you practices of lawlessness. If I understand this correctly, these guys are on the mission field. They're with world vision. They're with organizations that are Christian by name. But many of these are, uh, as I watch the last days, I see what the Bible talks about falling away. World vision. I used to know that the leader, his name was John Wesley, uh, when we first started going to Haiti in the early 90s. And he was overseer over all of the Caribbean and I watched this great organization that preached the gospel but also helped, helped the poor. Now it's a social organization. You don't find the gospel there anymore. And it's sad, but it's, it's a, a falling away. Or they're, they're doing all these works. But if there are people in the organization that are doing the works and they don't even know the Lord, this is what Jesus says is going to happen right here. Depart from me. I don't know who you are. Yeah, you're doing all these things, but who are you? I don't know you. Then he goes on to say, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, well, I'll liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house. It did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Every Christian is going to go through storms. Somebody want to say amen to that? I'm going to ask for a better one than that, because you all know it's true. Amen? Every Christian is going to go through storms. How do you survive them? It all depends. If you're building your house upon the rock, which is this Bible. This is why we study the Bible over and over, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It creates a solid foundation. Then, everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be a foolish man who builds his house on the sands. Same storms of life come, but because there's no foundation, they get wiped out and they're gone. Let's close this morning by going back to the book of Ecclesiastes, but instead of the first chapter, the last chapter. Solomon tried it all. Go ahead and read the whole book, all 12 chapters. There isn't anything he doesn't try. After he's tried it all, he comes up with, let's hear the conclusion, verse 13, of the whole matter. Now that he says, I've rambled on for 12 chapters and show that there's nothing in life Uh, that's really important, except, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments. The new commandments is that we're to love one another and love God. The rest will follow. For this is the whole duty of man. Why am I here? What's my purpose? To know your creator is the answer. To have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else matters. Somebody want to say amen to that? Nothing else matters except do you know the Lord? And are you born again? Do you have a personal relationship with him? And can you say with all certainty, if my appointment was today, that I'm standing before him and he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Or is it going to be depart from me? I never knew you. And you're the only person that can answer that question. Your husband can't, your wife can't, mom can't, dad can't. Only you and Jesus can, because that's what it's all going to come down to. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. I don't know, are you listening to Solomon and Jesus? 
or you're listening to Warren Buffett and E.F. Hutton. Nothing wrong with those guys. But they both will have different teaching manners on what to do with their life. Acts 17.31 is the last verse I'll share. It is appointed, God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. But that man whom he has ordained, that would be Jesus, whom he has given assurance unto all men that he has raised him from the dead. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that God came, sent his son, he died on a cross. To prove he was who he said to be, he rose again from the dead. No one has ever done that before. And the promise for you and I is if we know him, what's the work? What, what do I need to do? <laughs> well, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your job, to know him. And then everything else will take care of itself. That's what he promised. Don't be anxious about it. Don't worry about it. It's got it all worked out. Let's stand. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As we look at this psalm and you tell us to teach us, Lord, please do teach us. Teach us to number our days and apply our hearts towards wisdom. And Lord, help us get to that place where you encourage us to enter that place of rest from being worry warts and having anxiety. Lord, as long as we know that you know us and our name is put in the book of life and just knowing that we're a part of your plan, just a small part of your plan, we're so grateful, Lord. And we thank you for our salvation this morning. We thank you for Psalm 90. I just pray you bless your people. And Lord, if there is any this morning that have never received you personally and really doesn't know you, I pray that by your Holy Spirit they would open up their heart even right now and ask you to come in and forgive them of their sins and ask that you would speak to them in a personal way and just give them that assurance, Lord, of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.